now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Peter Maxwell Slattery. Peter is an international best-selling author, speaker, and appeared on History Channel's Ancient Aliens and Paranormal Caught on Camera, Channel 7's Prime News and Sunrise, and many other international television programs. He has extraordinary UFO footage that is featured in Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, a number one film on iTunes in 2020, and his most recent documentary, which is called Multidimensional. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Great to connect with you and thank you for having me on. All right, everybody. In a few minutes, we're going to get into Peter's videos and pictures on his YouTube channel and some of it's extraordinary. So while we're getting ready, I'm going to let you know that his YouTube channel is called Peter Maxwell Slattery. So once we get there, I think it's best that while we're talking about some of his videos that you can actually see them at the same time. All right. So Peter, how did all this alien contact begin? It's something that you sort of connect the dots more in later years, but the way I could describe it is that there was this voice talking to me at times when I was a young child, around the age of seven. There would sort of just be, the way I could describe it, things foretold ahead of time. And I never made much of it. My parents just thought it was a bit weird and that would happen, but they didn't know what to do about it. We even spoke to a doctor at one time about it, and he said, well, nothing bad's happening, so, you know, just guess it's just Pete. Later on down the track, I found out who that was, but not long after that, between the ages of eight and 12, I would start to have experiences that had a very high strangeness component to them. Now, the way I would describe it is how it started off was I would wake up and see Kirk Cobain in my room. Now, I'm not saying it was Kirk Cobain. What I'm saying now is that something projecting that form that because I was a big Nirvana fan back at the time may have thought that it was going to, I guess, ease me into the contact, but yet it scared the living crap out of me. Now, over time, what I'd see is a vibration, a distortion between seeing Kirk Cobain and what's described as, well, it's not a grey alien. It looks like it, but it was white. And its skin texture was like cigarette ash, like that sort of grindy, granular texture, if you dub it with your finger. And sometimes there'd be one, sometimes there would be three. Uh, and this was reoccurring on a regular basis for a four-year period. And I know because it's when I moved into a certain home that this started happening and it continued, and it was a four-year period up until when I was 12. So I didn't know, I didn't even think it was an alien at the time. I didn't think it was multidimensional. I didn't think it was demonic, angelic. I just didn't know what it was. And there would be at times what I could say is light coming from the peripheral of the curtains, whether it was the sun shining early in the morning, whether it was a craft, I've got no idea. Most of the time it was pulling up the sheet, turning away, deeply wanting this thing to go away or these things to go away. So at the age of 12, I moved from that house into my father's house. And all this occurred in a suburb of Aubrey called Lavington. At that time, it was a small town. Uh, now it's a lot bigger. I think it's about 40,000 in Albury, and then there's probably about the same amount on the other side. It's the twin city, Albury, Wodonga, it's known as. And this day I had, it was a bottle that we used to go and reuse that you'd go and get, you'd call it the gas station to fill up a Slurpee. Mm-hmm. And the bottle changes colours when you fill it up. So it was a hot day, early after, oh, probably mid-afternoon, and I'm walking down a road called Dick Road, which was near my dad's house. It was, went onto it onto the Hume Freeway, which is like at that time the main road and still is between Melbourne and Sydney. It's like a nine-hour trip or something like that. We're ha- pretty much Aubrey's nearly halfway on that. So I'm walking up the road, and the only way I can describe it is it was like a disc, but it was more like the weight on the end of a weight bar. So if you pull the weight off by itself and put it sideways, it was a matte grey, and this thing was about three times the size of a football field. I've seen it in later years. Always wondered if it was really that size because when you're a child, sometimes things look bigger than what they actually are. But no markings, no nothing. It was just this object that looked like a weight and it went in front of Red Light Hill until out of view. Now, I never got reports of that sighting in later years. I didn't even talk about this for a long time. But going back and meeting other people and talking to others 
from the town at that time, there was a spate of different sightings around the same area, but not exactly what I saw. Some people saw similar things, but that was more like a disk structured from light is the way that they described it to me. It was like this, it looked like a flying saucer, but it wasn't metallic. It was like made of light and there was orbs and different things as well. So from then on, it was just a, a spate of what I'd call high strangeness incidents would happen on a regular basis. What I didn't equate really to alien phenomena at the time, though some of it I believe is, because before I was sort of known for having one of the most documented cases, I was, and I still am one of the blokes that you'll call to one of the most haunted places. If there's hauntings going on, I've, done, I've investigated some really well-known haunting spots that uh, over time I come to realise that some people, they weren't having hauntings, they were having ET contact and vice versa. But because they've watched Ghost Hunters or a UFO show, they've sort of just equated it or an abduction show to what, they had a reference for. So I'd have sightings, um, see objects thrown across the room, orbs, just weird crap happening on a regular basis. Uh, There were sightings that started up in later years where I'd have friends with me, but it wasn't until 2010 when it started to be a regular thing and still is today, and a lot of it's captured on camera. But in 2010... I was with a friend and if I remember correctly, I think it was six sightings in two weeks. He wasn't there for a couple of them and I wasn't there for one of his sightings, but he lived around the corner, a very good friend of mine, and he's gone on the record about it before but covered up his name and his face as well. Uh, With these sightings, I would even contact the Australian Air Services and the reply was each time that the airport was closed at the time, being a small town, There was no need for later flights. It was just, you know, flights coming in and out during the day. It wasn't a helicopter. Nothing was in the sky from what they could tell me. Yet I had it on camera, on video. I had witnesses. And in these incidents, these crafts would completely blink out. They'll an orb, most of them was an orb about the size of a two-story house emanating between like a whitish and orange light that would completely disappear. This would be before sundown most of the time as well. Uh, and on one occasion, it was a lot smaller. It was still an orb, but you can actually see me point at the orb on video, and after I point at it, it shoots off, and this was very low, very low, and that's in the documentary as well. So that's sort of like what we could say is a brief thumbnail sketch of the introduction part, and then it gets a bit more full on. All right, so let's get right to it. We're going to start with this video on his channel called Real Alien on Camera Blinking. And you may get spooked out by seeing this because not only do you see the alien, but you see it blinking its eye. So what camera were you using? What was going on when this happened? Can you kind of walk us through this? Yeah, so I was in the lounge room going back and forth from the kitchen just around the house and I was watching something on television and every now and then when I would walk past a specific area where you could see it captured, I'll just see something dark from the corner of my eye. I'd, I'd wrote about this in my books previous. My family knew of this because it was always just something that I could tell and there's like an energy with it, just like, you know, you're not alone when that's happening. So after enough times, I've usually got an infrared camera not far from me. So this that camera was actually called a, um, it was just a Chinese one for about 70 bucks. Darn good for indoors, really good for indoors. I actually used to film the original Crafts Outs doors with it. It's a Meg Exxon camera. Uh, like M-E-G-X-O-N. Uh, I don't think you can get much. This camera you can't get anymore. I wish you could because it's a really good camera, infrared, and it's only about this big, like a normal, just a small point-and-shoot camera. So I just put the camera on the dining room table pointing towards that area. I actually stood behind it while I continued watching, just seeing if anything would dart. And I did see something, and the camera turned itself off. So at that point, not long after that, I put it into the computer, checked if anything was captured on it, and what you see is exactly what's what's on there. Now, later from that, what I can tell you, which is also in the documentary, John Vivanco, who's a remote viewer, he's been uh, outsourced by the FBI, NASA, um, really well known for what he does. He's worked with a team of over 40 people on my story, if I'm truthful, if I'm not. He's actually come to Australia and been with me for a few weeks and seen stuff for himself, and we've done investigations. I've gone over there as well and done investigations with him. And 
what I've said from the start was that I don't think this being was fully materialised or physical. And that was confirmed with remote viewing. Again, you've got to remember with remote viewing, they're blind with the target. They don't know what it is that they're going to view. Mm-hmm. The story that John tells is that this craft crashed half in the house and half outside the house to come and see me. And that was, don't quote me, I think it might have been like five beings, but there was a heap of beings and they're there to come and check me. Part of an experiment or something like that is the way that he describes it. Mm-hmm. And that these these beings were connected to me and they were checking in, in on me basically is the way that he describes it. So I didn't see anything at the time except darting back and forth. Again, the lights are off, but you can sort of see that darkness within darkness is, mm-hmm. is the only way to describe it. And that's how that was captured on camera. Let me go back and kind of review this. You set the camera on the dining room table. so And just pointed at it. All right. Yeah. So yeah, you and you, and it was kind of like pointed angle away from you. Just would be kind of like in your peripheral vision. Oh, it's not even thinking about it. You just turn it on to see if you can capture it. That was it. So it's on an angle. I was. I don't know. Yeah, it would have an been on an angle. It's just pointing at that hallway. I'm just hoping You're to capture something like over a heap of times. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Because it's good. Because it, you know, I was. A, Kind of wondering, was it on a tripod or something? Because the camera is still, so that makes sense that you had it on the dining room table, and yeah. it, and um, I didn't know that it was an infrared camera because I felt like you know it's a little bit grainy, a little bit almost like as if the alien was out of phase or something. It is as a camera, but also that's what was happening as well. So you got to remember, this is a camera probably going back to 2010. This was, mm-hmm. I think, captured 2017 or something, so it's older infrared technology i think it might have been like a 10 megapixel camera or something like that or 12 but then it's lower rate with the actual filming quality mm-hmm. uh, as a lot of the older cameras are so uh but that's like this is where i get in depth and we can go that a lot of the beings will appear in apparition form they're not fully materialized their crafts can land on you in your bed and transport you on board the craft as you start to resonate with it as well whether it's physically or non-physically mm-hmm. so yeah there's a lot to this it's not just what people think multidimensional mind is, it's a lot more laid and convoluted than most think. Right. When you say it's not materialized, do you think that this being and the crafts are in a different dimension or are they cloaked? They're starting to break in, but what what I know from experience is that sometimes that's as much as they can shift in so they appear like a ghost. Now, some of it's got to do with the heaviness of this density here. Sometimes they just haven't got the capabilities to manifest or materialise any more than that. Sometimes they do, but they don't. So it's just it's really a case-by-case basis and what the intelligence is that's trying to interact, where I've had hundreds of people at Skywatch who see the craft during the day and night, and then the crafts will actually come and land. There's video in the documentary of a cigar craft three foot off the ground in apparition form at James Gillilands Ranch, uh, just before sundown. And pe- some people saw it with me, the other people couldn't see it, but yet it's on camera. Right. So, yeah, it's this is the multidimensional aspect, hence the name multidimensional for the film. Right. What is interesting is is the you watch the way the alien moves, you know what I mean? So in my opinion, it moves so it's not faked in a way, you know what I mean? It moves so lifelike. You know what I mean? Like you really yeah. can see the way that, that the alien moves its bodies after it's peeking around the corner. Does that make sense? It does. And it does it a couple of times. And what I'm wondering after speaking to John was, was it a couple of them taking turns? Mm. Because, you know, I'm just seeing something bob around the corner. I'm not experiencing fully what's going on on a multidimensional level at that time with that experience. So I can do that. I just wasn't at the time. So after he said that, I'm wondering, was it one taking a look and then another one coming out taking a turn as well? Mm. Or were they all taking a turn? So, Mm. yeah. Do you think that they knew you were filming them? Yeah, I think going back from experiences, there's been times that not only the power is cut out when I've tried to film the exact same thing uh, before then years going back, the power would cut off, but also the camera would cut off and the camera's not connected to a power source. So it's like the way John describes it, even with some of the recent flying saucer footage, which is some of the clearest ever, I had missing time, two days of missing time with that event. And the way John described it was you weren't meant to even capture that. You're not even meant to know who these people are. And I got that from my own sources as well because there's multiple many different types of beings that I've interfaced with now over the years and some I have regular contact with. 
So it's really a case by case sort of situation what's happening. So did you say that you've had this video footage of this alien looked at by other people and they've confirmed that it's real? Yeah, so the, I think I was working with Jason Glees, I think, at the time, but I know for sure that um, Japanese, I think it's called Fuji TV, have analysed it and looked at it. They sort of did a bit of an outline to a body, which I can't see, but that's where I've said the people, when the multidimensional, and even I've seen just heads appear out of portals, so anything goes when we're looking at this, but they took it and they did a feature on um, primetime TV, mm-hmm. probably about six months a year. Don't quote me. It was sometime after that footage was taken. Uh, and then Jason Glees has done an analysis of the footage as well. And he's got UF only, but he's also ex-UK Air Force and Aerospace. And he's up there with Bruce Maccabee. He's done a lot of magazines and television in terms of just specialising in the an- analysation of anomalous objects or UFO footage or yeah, anything in that sort of realm. That's what he does. Have you ever been in contact face-to-face with an ET that is fully materialized? Yep, and that started around 2012, actually before then, 2011, uh, yeah, let alone the experiences when I was younger. But like I said, I didn't know what they were at that time. Were they all greys? No, no. They rarely they, – they, they pop through regularly. Sometimes it comes in clumps. But – one of the main beings is a humanoid being that looks exactly like us. There's wow. liquid blue light beings that will be in all form, which I call the Elohim. Mm-hmm. Take the religious taint out of it. The way it's been explained is that all our higher selves is a cell of God's body, and that's the Elohim. Our highest expression is a cell of God's body. There's different variations of the Elohim. There's beings in Orion, various races in Orion that I've interacted with. I've even been taken to Orion let alone the Pleiades and other star systems. But what I say is the extraterrestrials is child's play. It's the bottom 5% of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it took me years to comprehend and understand this, that even extraterrestrials are going through their own development, their own ascension process. They do not have all the answers and they cannot fix everything. Right. That this goes into the soul, what the soul is, that it's an aspect of God that leaves, we could say, a, a main frequency, the unified field, to go out within it to experience and gain knowledge. But yet all the lives are happening at the same time. This is really where I'm at now. It's beyond the photos, the videos, all that. This is where it's led me. I've let it led me to where it's led me, basically. Right, right. All right, let's check out this one now. Um, There is one that you have, and it is just a picture, though. Uh, Here it is. If you look under his paranormal activity, it says alien captured on camera. I guess it's at night and it's just outside and there's an alien head behind the car. Can you tell us about that photo? Yeah, that was taken last year. The original is a lot clearer than that, but a lot of people won't see it because if that's had exposure and contrast, I believe, change on it to bring it out, which is why it's pixelated. That Mm -hmm. was taken with a brand new iPhone. Um, Yeah, so it's... Super clear. Jason Glees has got the original. It's been shown on some things before, so it is out there, the original as well. Mm. Um, that was analysed straight after the fact. I was in my cabin at Paul Punker, which is at the foot of Mount Buffalo at the time in Victoria's the Alpine area. It gets a little bit of snow and, and all that. And this night there was something walking on the roof. The only way I can describe it was like something was walking on the roof. I'm sort of banging the table now, but it sounded like footsteps on the roof. And then all of a sudden I could hear it something like walking on leaves and grass, like outside of the lounge room window at the cabin. So I went outside, took a few photos. I think I got a phone call or something went on. And then like 15 minutes later, I was scrolling through the photos. Nothing was in two of them, but in one of them, there was something behind. And I know all that area. There's nothing there that can be mistaken or matrixing, which is where the human brain will make something up out of something. There's something else. And I just sent it straight to Jason Glees and didn't even say anything. I said, have a look at this. And he got back to me and he could see it clear as day. So, so again, so. that's something that I wasn't aware of exactly what it was that was there. I knew something was there and I felt that it was of a paranormal nature, but it wasn't until I reviewed the photo that that was on it. So I didn't see. And it sort of freaks out because it was right there on the other side of my pickup truck. Right. But yet I couldn't see it. So you sort of look back going, that's pretty freaky that that's there. And it sort of plays on your mind a bit after that. And then you sort of just get over it. It is what it is like everything else. Was it dark outside and you were just taking random photos or were there like, you know, outdoor lights? 
There's outdoor lights. There's one that was sort of behind me going that way, probably about eight metres, and then there was another one probably 10 metres or so on a diagonal back behind me. So there's like two behind me on on angles. Mm, so it wasn't completely dark, but if you had a normal camera, it would be like darkness. But because of the – it's got like a slight exposure shot with the iPhone 11 that if you take a photo, it gives like a three-second thing where it sort of makes it sharp and brings out uh, a darkness photo that will look beautiful. Like the stars look beautiful through it or anything you can take with a little bit of light, it makes a night shot look awesome. Mm. So – it wasn't something that I was sort of particular focusing on. It was just like something's there. I'll just take a few photos, see if anything appears on it. I guess you're used to that kind of experience where even though you don't see anything, you're just going to take some photos anyways and then go see if you see something in the in the actual image, right? Yeah, and that happens a lot. That happens a lot. But a lot of the stuff I'm filming in the crafts and what I don't talk about much is when I'm filming the crafts, I'm on the craft in my consciousness. Hmm. So it's like there's a merging of consciousness with the pilot or even if it's a being in its Mercury that I'm interfacing and I'm filming. So if people go and look through the videos as well, a lot of my footage is broad daylight, there's witnesses. It can happen at any time as well as nighttime. So orbs in the house, there's videos of that in the documentary. It, yeah, it goes on and on. But this is now 11 years of documented evidence. Mm-hmm. So it's over 11-year period now. What I find interesting is probably the average person, here's someone on the roof walking around, may not want to go outside, you know what I mean? You don't know what's out there, but you just go ahead and go outside. Do you have any fear of aliens at all, or are you past that? You know, you've had so much contact, there's no fear. You just go out of there and see what's going on. Anyone who says they lose complete fear is full of it. Now, what I'll say is that regularly it's just i expect the unexpected but there's still times i get very startled just you know again it's happening when you least expect it a lot of this sometimes there'll be an energy or a buzz or a frequency that you start to notice something's going on there is some telltale signs some of the time mm-hmm. uh temperature changes goosebumps hair standing up an energetic change or temperature all different things but it's not the case every time but after the amount of stuff that i've gone through uh it takes a lot to startle me but again i still get taken aback every now and then so it's, yeah, sometimes I don't, sometimes I do. It just depends on, you know, what I've been doing, what's going on, you know, like anyone else. Sometimes you might get startled if somebody jumps out from behind a door other times, but, I, you know, so what? If somebody's playing a prank or trying to, you know, give you a fright, something like that. But a lot of the time they're not trying to do that. There is been negative types of energies come and visit me as well. And that's been, that hasn't been pleasant. But a lot of the time, it's just almost like you're weaned into it. And before you know it, as I say to a lot of people, you haven't got a chance to react to a lot of experiences until after the fact. And by that time, you've had the experience and it's over. So, yeah, especially when it's an ongoing thing. All right, let's move on to another one. At the top of his YouTube page, he has a trailer about his movie, Multidimensional. I think it's at 24 seconds it looks like you're using a, I don't know if it's infrared or night vision. Is it green it, footage? It's green footage, and you see like a laser going around a UFO. That would have been Greg from Jay City on the laser, and I was at East City using James Gilliland's camera. Mm-hmm. So every now and then when I'm out there, if I forgot my camera, I just grabbed James's and I'm out there, and we're out there with Jay City, which was, um, geez, it might have been five or 15. He had a group of, I think, 15 Japanese all up there with him. I don't know if they were all out there. But, yeah, this massive craft just came over, and I think that's Greg on the camera doing the laser thing, and I was just having to capture it on camera um, as we were out there, and it just zoomed on by and then, yeah, did a turn and blinked out from what I remember. Was he actually pointing the laser at the ship and trying to get their attention, or was he just trying to show everybody where it was? I'd say even with myself when I because I don't use lasers here anymore. It's legal here, but when I'm in the states, I do. It's it's got a few functions. One is yes to point out the craft. Is some people a lot of people when they see their first craft doing something like that, it's not what they expect. They don't expect the ball of light. They expect something ten meters off the ground that looks like close encounters. So one is to point it out. Two, it is to um, sometimes circle it or turn it on and off to try and get a reaction, whether it's a turn, whether it goes back on itself, whether it. Uh, triples in size or 10 10 times the size it just shifts into and blinks. There is iridium flares and things like that, but you're looking for anomalous activity and reactions from the lasers. So usually you'd have to ask Greg what his intention was with that. But usually for myself, it's usually the one to point out and two to see if there can be a response. Have you ever gotten a response? 
Yeah, there is videos up there where there is responses. So there's stuff on there in the ECD Australia YouTube channel. Um, there is stuff out there that you can see different responses going on and people, what, there's witnesses to this as well. What do they do when they respond to it? Well, just like I was saying, they can be a turn, a manoeuvre. Um, they can, you know, go from the size of being like something like a star into the size of the moon mm-hmm. and then they can just completely disappear. Oh, okay, wow. I'm in Texas and I had a guest also here once from Texas and he was working way out in the country filling up oil rigs in his truck. And he kept seeing UFOs, so he decided to bring a laser and point it at the ship. And it wasn't too far away, maybe 200 meters or so. And it was either that night or the next night he said they paid him a visit and kind of paralyzed him in his bed while they rummaged through his house. I guess they wanted to know what what was up with that laser. And He described some of the beings. One of them was a woman that was like seemed like it was half cat, half woman. And one of them was kind of like dog-like, like a mixture of a dog, you know, like on four, like a dog, but I don't mm-hmm. think, a, but not a dog and obviously not a dog, but, and I don't know if it was more of a humanoid head or something. Have you ever seen any beings like that? Yeah. Um, there is feline beings, multiple species that I've interacted with from Sirius. Uh the way I could describe this is that there's cat sort of humanoid beings and then there's the lion type, but there's also some in Lyra and Orion, but mainly it's the Syrian connection that I've got uh, that I've interfaced and communicated on a regular basis with a couple of beings from there. Now, with the dog beings, there is a huge history here with them, and I have been shown intel before on a being from Orion that would be a humanoid dog type being, so it's different from what you're describing, a lot of reports here are negative experiences associated with what we could call dogmen. But what I was shown was something different. It was more of a master type being, though this was an Orion extraterrestrial being that seemed to have dog features for the face, but it had a, um, a you know, it was a humanoid body. Do you think that a lot of people have aliens around them and don't really know it because they're they're not picking up on the senses like you do? I think everyone's an experiencer, and I think it's mainly through thought that. And again, let's just now we're going to drop the ATs, include them in this, where it could be spirit guides, it could be angelic, celestial, right. ascended, Mar, all this type of thing. Where what they're using and the way that I show people and work with it now, and it was really years and years of interfacing and being on the crafts, going through this process of what you're doing is you're projecting a thought and you're getting thoughts, feelings, and visions back. So if I'm looking at a being physically, and it's meant to be a physical meeting type of contact where they might materialise, they pop in, they come in as an orb and shoot into a seven-foot-tall light bang in some cases, depending on what it is, even when I'm on board the craft or sometimes there's emerging, I can have my eyes open and I'm getting visions and I'm getting thoughts to the visions and I'm getting feelings to the visions all in sync at the same time. It's literally like a book of information going like bang to me and I project the thought back if there's any questions I've got to where over the years it's now a back-and-forth flow thing. So this is where I say you've got to get out of linear thinking. If you want to understand this, and again, I wouldn't know 1% out of a, let's say, trillion percent of what's going on. I know a lot, more than most, but I still don't know everything. What I can tell you is, and it's hard, being human, if we can't see, touch, taste, smell something or get external validation, we're going to doubt it. I can understand that. But it gets to a point you've got to kick that to the side. doesn't mean don't be discerning. But you've sort of got to go with the flow. And this gets to a point where you've got to drop linear thinking and be open to all possibility, all possibility. Don't have any preconceived notion. Don't try to control it. You've got to experience it. And how you experience it is beyond the five senses. So we've got sight, sound, touch, taste, smell. There is spiritual smelling, hearing, taste, um, seeing, touch sensation, which is usually how you'll feel the energy, right? But they're projecting mainly through thoughts that you're going to perceive as your own thoughts unless you're picking up on a sensation when it's happening which is usually entwined with it there's usually a sensation of thought coming in and for some people visions as well so it's like the way i use the analogy is it might be like you're out in the garden but you before you went out you put something in the oven and that thought that comes to you damn i left something on the oven i hope it's not burnt and then you go and run and check it how quick thoughts, ideas, epiphanies, concepts, and knowingness come to us is the way that they communicate and they'll use your own thought pattern, but you're thinking it's you, but sometimes it can be a great idea. And it's not to say you don't have your own thoughts and your own ideas, but they use that same mechanism. So I believe everyone on the planet, and it's going to sound crazy, I believe they're an experiencer of some, talk, some type, 
whether it's with extraterrestrial or a nature spirit or, and I don't think it's just one thing communicating with them. I think that we all pick up on different things at different times. But, yeah, it's not that I'm special or anything. I think it's just that I, in some ways, open up more and it's part of my my journey, my soul mission. And there's, it's not just me as well. There's a lot of people that are capturing footage, a lot of experiences out there. Some get the footage, some don't. It's not about the footage. I couldn't care about the footage. That's why I say if you're going to go out with me even doing CE5, good chance I'll get it on camera. But if you really want to have a good experience, don't worry about the camera. You've got to train yourself to be able to be in the experience before you can react and film it. So many times I've had television crews with me or other people and I'm the one that filmed it, yet they've got like a $20,000 camera and didn't get it because they, their jaws dropped looking up because they're reacting to what they're experiencing. The last thing you're thinking about a lot of the time is to film something where I had to sort of train myself over time to do it because sometimes a sighting might last an hour and a half. Sometimes it might be 10 seconds. It's just it's different every time. So we're all experiences. It's just working on your own development, inner sensitivity practices, um, keeping your frequency high, which is a big thing because lower frequencies is almost like John Vivanco says, like you're throwing a brick at them. For some, it's very much a downing energy that they need to get away from and not interact with because they don't want to take that energy on along with many other different reasons why um, doing your practices and things like that is very important once you get to a certain state. Do you believe that there's some kind of world we can call it the astral, the unified field or whatever, where all the aliens are communicating and existing and even traveling? And then all right, this kind is of, getting to the stuff I want then, to talk about. This is good. And then yeah. they come into phase or somehow, and then they, we, they can interact to us when they come into our dimension. But otherwise, everything exists in another dimension. And basically, so, like, I'm sorry, one more thing. And maybe when you're contacting them, you're having an OBE, an out-of-body experience, and that's how you make contact. Yes, this is where it all leads. This is why it all comes together. This is why the spiritual community and their uh, near-death experiences, ETs, uh, spiritual practices, it all needs to be rammed together because the mechanism is the same thing. Now, the way I could describe it, again, I don't know everything, so I'm just going to explain it to you the best that I can from my knowledge at this time with my understanding at this time. So the way I describe it is extraterrestrials in their own physical way, in their own physical worlds, that would be the bottom 5%, the bottom 5% of what's out there. Now, again, it's not putting extraterrestrials down. They could be up a certain dimension or density of consciousness at a certain state of evolution, but they're not back there yet. If they were, they wouldn't be an ET, meaning they're a master or they're at that God state consciousness. Again, this is where it's going to get convoluted even more is I, I call it the spiderweb or the octopus effect, that imagine that this is your oversoul and each of these different lives happening at the same time and they can also create a new Godhead. So all your lives are happening at the same time. This is where past, future, it, it doesn't matter when you're operating in what we could say your God self, which is in source, in the unified field, whatever people want to use these terms. So once you get past the bottom 5%, this is where there's complete different realms, imagination realms, realms structured from light, um, thought form realms. A lot of them don't; ha- they won't have planets and stars. This is what I say: that's the planets and stars, the physical material universe. It's the bottom five percent. It's very hard for the lessons, the patience we're going to learn, the time that we perceive this time for things to be done. Of course, but once you get up and you go up, then you start to hit what I call the peripheral of source. And so now we're sitting at like 95 percent which is what I call the geometric light realms. It's like a living kaleidoscope with beings in and out of it, a lot of angelic or highly advanced intelligences that are operating in that. And even with the angels, they've got different aspects of them that coexist doing different things. Now, people wonder how one being, we could say Archangel Michael, I'm giving an example, could be working with, say, a 1,000 people at one time. I've got to use this analogy. Imagine your human body as a biological computer. Your soul is the software that's operating it. That's why we might all look the same, but we've got different personality traits and things. Now, epigenetics plays a component in this, meaning our biology, our ancestors, but everyone's really different because of the soul, the software operating the human body. Now, that light body interfaces with the unified field, which is throughout everything of existence. So this is where I say now, now imagine your body as a computer the software running is the soul, and that's plugging into the wireless internet, which is the unified field. If you can understand that, you can understand how a being can be in another dimension, on another planet meditating. It could be in an ET craft, depending on the civilization, if they're using consciousness to 
assisted technology or their own consciousness or how they could be at source or the geometric light realms and they can interface. It's just a thought for them. They know where to navigate the thought. They know the conscious, the person they're trying or the being they're trying to interact with. It's just a thought away. It's not traveling light years. That's why in the later experiences I was shown how beings in their Merkaba, some of it depends on the level of civilization or the type of being actually, because this is where it gets more individual. They can tell they can break down to an electron because all electrons have a symbiotic relationship. They can re, they can direct their consciousness to an electron in a certain space occupying area and rebuild from the building blocks there. Some of them are using the photon, which is light as well. So again, there's many ways that they don't need a craft. And this is the stuff that has led me to over the years of my experiences, uh, specifically now looking and educating and telling people about this, putting what we could say concepts out there for them to get it to reawaken it and even add on to the material tenfold of what I have. I'm only able to elaborate a small amount of my contacts and the material that I've got because there's words that just can't describe it. But there's almost like downloads people say when they're talking to me or stuff that they're getting that elaborates onto the information, their own higher self working with them to get it. So this is where near-death experiences, um, you know, the way that they're perceiving it, going into an unbounded state of consciousness is pretty much what can happen with meditation. But because they're trapped in a five-sense reality for a lot of them, um, you know the story with Dr. Eben Alexandra, right? Now, uh, meningitis, he got, he was one of the neurosurgeons, one of the proponents of debunking the part of the brain that where all this was made up. And that was dead in him when he died. And that amazing story. So what we've got is something where a lot of people who don't believe in this, they're working a nine to five job. They might go to church on the weekends, but they're probably drinking beer, going to the football, whatever they got. And then they have an experience like this and it changes you for life, just like it has for me. It changes you. There is no going back. And that's the effects that this is a real experience. Mm. That shows this is a real experience because something's awestruck. But I'll talk to people that have had ayahuasca or DMT and some of what they're talking about is similar to what I've seen as well, what they're describing, the geometric, the kaleidoscope effect, the beings coming in and out. So I think that I, I do it, it's just natural for me, but I think whether they're doing a certain type of ayahuasca ritual or somebody that's died, the same mechanism is turning on. And the DMT may be a, an on switch, meaning with the near-death experience, if there's a burst of DMT or if it's with somebody that's smoking it or ingesting it. But you've got to think once you leave the body, you don't have the DMT anymore. It's almost like an on switch to allow you to go from a five-sense reality to an eight-sense reality to where you can start to perceive it. So this is where I say to people, everything we can talk about, it doesn't have a black or white answer, a yes or no. The shade of grey in the middle is so vast. It's really a case-by-case basis. Do you think it's possible that when you were a child, you had some kind of NDE, which you don't remember, that made a crack or an opening in the veil that not only allows you to come in contact with ETs, but possibly even angels and other energetic beings as well. Well, there's stuff going back. I think it was around four that I don't talk about. The reason I don't talk about it is because it's so vague. It's very, like, it's not clear to me. I did have a near-death experience from a motorcycle accident um, in my hometown. I think I was 17, 18 at the time. Um, a car slammed on its brakes. It was a good distance in front of me. It was some guy that just got here from overseas, didn't know the laws, and he slammed on the brakes in the middle of a highway. That At that time, the highway went from my hometown, and the bike went up the back of it after I slammed on the brakes, and I sort of bounced off an tr- oncoming truck, flipped. I think people said it was like nine, 12 times. i got no idea because I can't even remember flipping, but all I can remember is having this out-of-body experience between hitting the truck and landing. And then I was sort of coming to and people were coming up to me and I pulled the helmet just cracked in two when I pulled it off. And I had marks all over me, me fingers and all that. And um, that's the first time I could say that I probably experienced like beyond multidimensional mind besides the paranormal and other experiences. There could have been something when I was younger. I got no idea. I got no idea. Okay. So this video, for those that are watching, it's called Orb on Camera, and he shows a pink orb sitting next to him. And then you see an orb flying around, and it kind of goes into the refrigerator and disappears. So 
Do you think that orb was an alien or do you think it could have just been some other being? You know, you're just picking up its energy. It could have been like even a dead person that someone that was living on earth. You know what I mean? Yeah. I pick up on a lot and I see stuff like that. I don't want to sound like the sixth sense, but it is like that sometimes for me. Um, with that, I just picked up on something and I could start to see it coming in and it comes in. You sometimes see them blinking in and out or sometimes you'll see something to start off with. So usually I'll just get a camera out and just start recording. Half of the time, nothing comes of it. Sometimes it does, you know. Um, Yeah, like with orbs, we're talking about, this is where I was just saying before a moment ago, it's not black and white. It's not yes or no. Mm -hmm. There is some extraterrestrial intelligence that can project an orb form out of them that can go and do surveillance. Sometimes they may even have a technology that can do that. Sometimes it could be a being in a Merkaba that hasn't fully materialised. It's in a different frequency that all you're seeing is an orb. So it hasn't turned into where you're going to see these two flickering triangles so quick with an intelligence inside it. You're just going to see a little type of orb. It could be a nature spirit. It could be an elemental. We hear about it with Bigfoot sightings. Mm. It's so many different things when we're talking about orbs that this is where, again, I say we've got to all work together because it's not what a one answer fits all type of question the distance between us and orion or wherever else is far far away so do you think that these craft create some kind of warp bubble or conscious bubble around the craft then enter the unified field and with just like a thought decide what planet they're going to fly to or or materialize in and then they pop out of that field and there they are you could say in the thumbnail sketch version, yes, but it depends on the civilization. If they're in a Merkaba, they just navigate through thought. They're in the field of consciousness. They can do whatever they want. As long as they've got good intention, which is how they got there, it's child's play for them. Other intelligences, they're using uh, what you could see is a craft in deep space going, and it might look slow, but it could be in the middle of the galaxy traveling like beyond, like, way beyond light speed, so it's not a quick thing. It might be still 20 minutes to get from one side of the galaxy to the middle of it or something like that, you know. So there is those things. But with some of the crafts I've been on, some of them are grown. Some of them are made from crystal. Some of them are structured from light. Um, a basic version I could give you is that they'll be in a flying saucer, uh, which will be in its own field. There's different forms of propulsion, of course. Sometimes I've seen magnetic rings on the craft. Sometimes I've seen something like a reactor. And other times I've seen a crystal that's operating. And mo mostly there's usually a crystal component to it that's, that's doing multiple things. Now, to give you an example with one of the Pleiadian crafts, it will get to a frequency as it builds up with the rings. And all of a sudden it turns into light. And basically within minutes they can appear back in the play wherever they're going in this case it's 400 and something light years to the Pleiades they can do that with the, within a few minutes but they're pulsing it other ones can literally teleport and jump and go bang sometimes they can travel back and forth in time again it depends on the intelligence but a lot of the navigation components are done by thought so you've got a pure intention pilot that's becoming one with the craft that goes all right we're going to go here the craft knows the galaxy or the gal different galaxies wherever it's operating and it knows how to navigate and get there it's not in a linear it's in a linear way but it's not the way that we think it's like here disappear is within we could say either a, a photon light spectrum or it's gone beyond that and then it will rematerialize usually once they get to a star system they'll come on the outskirts and there's actually more time to get into the planetary body that they're going to than the actual trip took itself because there's other crafts, there's sometimes stuff that has to be passed with other ships that are out there monitoring that have got weapons and things like that for space safety. And, uh, so, you know, there's a lot of different things. Just like if we're flying into, let's say, America from Australia, I've got to go through the TSA, we've got to go land first, we've got to go through, um, and well, these days, quarantine in some cases. Um, there's a process just like they have. But this is more lowest civilizations. They're advanced more than us. Mm -hmm. But... This is what I mean. That's all child's play compared to what consciousness really has to offer once you go up the chain. It's obvious that the ETs are way beyond us in, in technology. But as far as spirituality and social interaction, do you think that they're far ahead of us in those aspects as well? Depends on the civilization. It's not black and white. Again, some of them, they're not all what we could say positive either. They're, I'd say that probably 5% of being, I'm giving a ballpark of them out there are negative or they've got a negative or self-serving agenda. But it really just depends on the civilization. The way it's been shown to me that 
most of the humanoid races out there and even races in general that are very enlightened, they've got a perfect balance between spirituality and technology. That with their schooling, education, if we can put it like that, they're educated, but they're also bought into a world that they don't need money in the way that we need money. Everything's taken care of. There's in some cases replicated. It's like the basics are taken care of, but it's all about soul group and evolution and what they can contribute that they're passionate about for that civilization. And they're also encouraged to do new endeavors. It might be to learn an instrument or it might be to learn archaeology or it could be a number of different things. So this is where socially what I say to people is do you really think Honest question, do you really think you can handle ET contact? And I think a lot of people can, but think about this for those that haven't had it or they don't think they've had it, that when you're interfacing with a highly advanced intelligence and not just extraterrestrial, angelic, celestial, masters, whatever, they can read you like a book. Mm. Everything you're thinking that you've done, you have done, you would have done, it's available to them. And if you're at a state of consciousness, you're, you've got that available to you. The difference between something of service and something of self-service is that an enlightened being doesn't give a rats about it. They've got love, compassion, and non-judgment. Where what I call the lower light, which is void of light and it's a distorted form of awareness, they can start a psychic attack. Oh, you did this 20 years ago. You thought you got over it. I'm going to get you on a mind loop for that for the next 40 minutes to see how much energy we can derive from that. So, yeah, I, I wish I could be more straight with some things, but this is where I've really got to get into a grey area here with you for the viewers because I want to open people up to, again, it's not a yes or no or this or that. It's so much a case-by-case basis, but at the end we're all one consciousness interacting with itself and this is but a dream. And it's all about being the best person that we can be. And a lot of people don't need to know what you and I know or talk about what we've experienced. It's not out of ego I'm saying that or they're not ready. Mm. I keep it back to the basics as long as they'll give the shirt off their back to help a fellow human and they're being a good person. That's all we need in this world is just good people. That's all we need. And that's really the bottom line with the messages, whether it's about how we treat the government, how or treat the earth, how the government treats each other on this planet, um, the way that we talk to each other, the way that we have a different class of everything or we put people into groups or segregate or whatever it is. It's like the differences we should be embracing doesn't mean we've got to agree with it, but there's a line that is it in line with your heart and how does it benefit, not just you, but benefit others with what you say and what you do. It has a big effect and that's one of the biggest messages I ever got is what you do and what you say affects everyone and everything. If you meditate a lot and you try to do stuff to raise your own frequency or vibration, do you think that you'll be able to encounter or see ETs or UFOs? I think it is a component, but I meditate for an hour to four hours a day and I'm doing different practices. I I locked myself up for three and a half years and all I did was remote view and meditate for eight to 12 hours a day. That's all I did. Now, what I can tell you is that you've got to drop the expectation, have an intention that you're open to it. But what I can tell you now and why I think I get results helping people and even with my own experiences is every day that I'm doing a practice or my prayers or whatever I'm doing, my motivation, intention is whatever I need to experience or learn to be a better person or be of service now, give it to me. It may be an experience. It may be a being materialising. It might be an experience in my mind's eye or an out-of-body experience. It might be stuff that you're getting going, you need to work on this, Pete. You shouldn't have done this the other day. So there's inner development in inner development work to where what have I said before you can't control this you've got to set an intention but if you try to control I want the bank to do this I want it to materialize I want it to be a gray or I want it to be a Pleiadian those things c- could happen but what I'm saying is you're blocking yourself off because you're trying to control these beings aren't to be controlled they're not the fixed stuff either they're there to assist us to assist ourselves so we can do the work here and uplift human consciousness they're not, it's not like Space Brothers come on down, sort out the problems. If that could have been done, it would have been done long ago. And if they were going to destroy us, that would have been done long ago too. So the key with it is, is the intention. What I say is clearing. There's clearings on my website, the clearing prayers, to clear the energies, which is working not just on an intention or saying things vibratorily, but also using your consciousness to manipulate things with energy, bring light and love in. It's airy-fairy. I can tell you now, if I said this to myself 20 years ago, I'd go put him in a nut house. Mm. But 
I've helped thousands of people around the world with this type of stuff now. And what I can tell you is that being open to experience whatever you need to be a better person and of service, but also include a clearing with that can start to bring through not just synchronicities and events and thoughts, but actual contact in ways that is beyond one's wildest imagination. All right. Well, I'm running out of time. So what I want to do for you is first tell everybody again about your documentary called Multidimensional. And I guess it's kind of like an autobiography film about you, right? And you can- A little bit away. It's more just about the experiences. It doesn't go into me my whole life, though. There's a lot of material out there. It's Mm -hmm. more focused on here's the evidence. Here's how it's been tested. Mary Rodwell's in a heap of it at the start because I wanted to make this not just for other experiences, but for families mainstream to watch and go, what if this guy's not telling a lie? What if the stuff that he's saying is absolutely true? Like I wanted that that question that even if I die today, I don't want people to believe me or not. I want them to think for themselves. And the biggest thing I want them to think is what if? And that film goes into, yes, some of the experiences, the evidence, the witnesses, um, and also other people's perspectives uh, on my case and my story of what I've been experiencing now, not just lifelong, but intensely for 11 years now with over 11 years of data. All right. So you can watch that on Amazon Prime, I think iTunes Store. Uh, what are the other places? Uh, I think Microsoft, uh, Vimeo, uh, yeah, Google Play, Amazon, iTunes. Yeah, it's actually rolling out on more platforms as we speak as well. You're also an author, correct? Yeah, oh, I I don't see myself as a filmmaker or an author. I've just done books. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't, yeah. I use that term like because they are best selling uh, books, mm-hmm. but I don't even see myself as an author. I just, I don't even see myself as anything really. But right. yeah. Well, if someone wants to check out your books, what are the titles and are they on um, Amazon? There's seven books. There's a book of Shiji series, which is the uh, best sellers, which are channeled material. There's My Awakening, UFOs, and Other Strange Happenings, as well as Operation Star Seed, which are based on my experiences. And they see five initiating contact with extraterrestrial intelligence, as well as connecting to your spirit and ET guides, which are more self-help books and go through the practices and things that I've gone through myself over the years with the interfacing with these otherworldly beings. They're on Amazon, iBooks, Barnes and Noble, all that, but you can go to petermaxwellslattery.com and uh, see it for yourself. And I'm also opening Jaya Sanctuary uh, in Australia where people can come and visit and I'm being, uh, I'll be doing workshops, sky watches, self mastery workshops, things of that nature as well. You got anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? Um, I'd say that there's going to be some, a lot more different videos coming out in future YouTube ones, as well as documentaries. But at the moment, it's just been all my energy into helping people and also set up the sanctuary, which I hope opens next month. So, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at now. I just want to help people boots in the ground and there'll be material come out. Uh, from the contacts or anything else, practices and techniques um, pretty much from here on until I leave this world. All right. Well, Peter, thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. I really appreciate you sharing with us and I wish you the best. No worries, Jeff. Thank you for having me and everyone for watching. Blessings. All right. Take care and have a good day over there. All right. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.